That was kind of fun last night and insane. Thank you to Pastor Scott and his team for, yeah, an amazing job. Thank you also, all of the volunteers uh, that made it happen, man. Thank you so much. Our prayer was that it would be our biggest outreach event, and God absolutely answered uh, that prayer in an amazing way. So thank you guys for that. If you're with us for the first time as a result of being with us last night, welcome. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. If you've got a couple minutes right after the service, I would love to have the opportunity to get to know you a little bit, and I'll be hanging out right down here in front of the stage. So next week and the week after are big weeks for us, especially November 7th. We're calling it Celebration Sunday, and part of that is going to include baptisms. I mentioned it last week. Uh, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you haven't been baptized yet, baptism is all about identifying yourself with Christ. Literally, that's what the word means, to identify with. That's what Christians do. They identify themselves with Jesus Christ. If you haven't been baptized, you've got a little unfinished business with God. And so if you want more information, contact the church and we'll get you hooked up with that. That's going to be November uh, 7th. So many things going on uh, at the church. And like Pastor Chris said, if you hit that little QR code, you're really going to want to do that today in light of where we're headed toward the end of the service. And I'll explain more about that in a minute. But over the last six weeks, we have been on this transformational journey together that we've called Bigger, Smaller, Deeper as we've been rolling out the future vision of the church. And it, basically, we wrap it up today. Uh, we heard the words of Jesus when he made the promise. He said, I'm going to build my church. And nothing's going to stop it. And that includes the gates of Hades. They won't prevail against her. We heard him talk about our time, our treasure, our talents. All that he has given to us is to be given back to him to make an eternal investment. Jesus laid it right out there when he said, where your treasure is, your heart is also. In other words, what he's saying is a really simple principle. We all know it to be true. We spend money on the things that we're passionate about, on the things that we love, things that are precious to us. So our money follows our hearts, and our hearts follow our money. We also mentioned the fact that Jesus doesn't need the money. There's never a point in his ministry where he said, I gave a great sermon on generosity. Now pass the offering plate. He never did that. See, it's not really about the money. It's about your heart. And Jesus cares too much about us not to speak to where our real treasures lie. That's why nearly one-fourth of the time Jesus preached, he talked about our wealth and what we do with it and how, in a very real sense, it's like a tracking device that communicates where our affections truly lie. So this morning we're going to read a parable given by Jesus. And essentially what he says in this parable is make the most of every opportunity that you have with all that you have been given. I uh, was, was, was reading a, uh, a study that was conducted a few years ago, and it was fascinating. The study sought to understand what it is that people regret most in life. And what they discovered was very interesting. When people look back over short periods of time, like within the last 24, 48 hours or week, they regret taking action. For example, someone might say, I regret having a second piece of cake at dinner, or I, 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 I regret the fact that I, I, I didn't exercise when I, when I should have this week. Right? Over short periods of time, they regret taking action. But when they look back over the months and even the years of their life, it's a very different regret. The thing they regret the most is inaction. In other words, it's the idea that, you know, there was this time in my life when I had the opportunity to make a career change. 
for whatever reason, maybe because of fear, intimidation, I decided not to do it. And now I'm, I'm older and the opportunity's passed and I might never, I might never, never have an opportunity like that again. Or, or maybe there was a relationship and they didn't pursue it. Now that opportunity is gone. They regret inaction. It's fascinating because Jesus actually speaks to this very longing within every human heart in this parable. So let me set it up. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells, tells his disciples, and they know this, he's been, he's been dropping these hints along the way, but essentially he says, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die for the sins of the world. We were all born into a dysfunctional relationship with the God who created us. Simple three-letter word for, for that is sin. We all do things that hurt ourselves and hurt others. That's why the world is so jacked up. God is just. He can't turn a blind eye to it. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's what we owe, every single one of us, everyone who's ever been born. This is why Jesus had to go to the cross to die, because he took upon himself the sins of all humanity. So those who embrace the cross and what Jesus did, their sins are forgiven. They have eternal life. That's the gospel, the good news message of Jesus. He says, that's what I'm about to do. So I'm with you now. I'm going to go to the cross. I come back three days later. I declare my victory over, over death. And then I'm going back to the right hand of the Father. But after a period of time, I'm going to return. And so immediately the disciples are like, details, we want, we want dates and we want times. When are you going to return? And then Jesus gives the most unusual answer. He speaks in generalities. He doesn't give them specific dates and times. He doesn't give them what they want. Instead, he says this, don't worry about that. Concentrate on this. I am coming back. Be ready. And then to illustrate this point, he launches into some stories. And he talks about these ten virgins. Five are ready. They prepare themselves for the bridegroom. Five are unprepared. And then in chapter 25, verse 13, he says, here's the point. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when I will return. So in other words, you live your life in this constant state of readiness. But there's more to it. Because then, after he gives that parable, that story, he rolls into another one. Chapter four, or verse 14, he says, For it, in other words, my return, will be like a man who goes on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted them his property. So the emphasis of the parable with the ten virgins is, listen, in my departure, before I return, be expectant. Be ready for me to come back. Okay? But then he doesn't leave it there. He goes on and he gives another story saying, there's actually some work for you to do. Don't just sit around doing nothing. There's some work for you to do in the meantime. And then we get this beautiful story, and he fleshes out what that means. And, and it's, it's, it's actually a story that we pattern our lives after as followers of Jesus Christ. Here's what he says, beginning with verse 14, Matthew chapter 25. He says, for it, my return, it's going to be like this. It's going to be like a man who goes on a journey. He called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, he gives five talents. To another, two. And to the third servant, he gives one talent. But notice, he gives to each one according to that servant's ability. Now, the Greek word for servant here actually describes a person who is highly skilled. This is a person who can take something and make it profitable. All three of these guys, right? Now, a talent, as you, some of you may know, is actually a, it's a, it's a unit of weight, right? Anywhere from... 
between 100 to 130 pounds. A heavy talent was 130 pounds. When you think in terms of money, silver was the most common form of currency in the day. And so 100 to 130 pounds of silver would equal one talent. In today's prices, on the low end, you're talking about 30,000, high end of 50,000. 30 to 50,000, an extreme amount of money back in the day. So one guy has five times that amount, the other two, and the last one, one, right? A significant amount of wealth. Then the master goes away. So here's what happens. He who had received the five talents went at once, and he begins to trade. He gets to work. And he makes five more talents. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent, he goes out, takes a shovel, sticks it in the ground, buries the one talent. He hid his master's money. Now after a long time, long time, the master returns. And he begins to settle accounts. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, him who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, notice, same words get said, whether you, the guy has five talents or two, they were both productive. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Both guys hear the exact same affirmation from the master. Then verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you. Here's what I understand about you. Here's what I know about you. You are a hard man. And the Greek word here for hard is an interesting one. I'll explain it in a second. It says, you are a hard man. You reap where you did not sow. You gather where you scatter no seed. So knowing who you are, I was afraid. And I went, and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful, or literally, you lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own, at least with a little interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And then verse 30. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You're like, wow, Jesus, this is quite a story. What's going on? All right, so let's make sure we understand it. The master goes on a long journey, which isn't uncommon back in the day, especially the way he arranges his affairs upon his departure. Obviously, travel back then was much slower than it is now. Could be gone for at least a year, maybe more. In order to do that, he has to set his house in order while he's gone. A lot of stuff has to be done. Uh, servants need to be paid. Bills need to be paid. House needs to be, be maintained. Uh, crops need to be grown. The livestock need to be caref- cared for. In order for all this stuff to happen, wise investments have to be made in order for the house to function. Because we know these are skilled people at what they do, there is an expectation. In other words, 
To each one is given according to his ability. The master says, I know what you're capable of. I know you have these skills. Here's what I'm entrusting to you. And he hands it over. He knows the servants really, really well. Don't let that one talent guy fool you either. That is a serious amount of money back in the day. All right, so it's obvious Jesus is the master. The long journey is what Jesus has been referring to when the disciples ask the question, when are you coming back? Refers to his departure, seated at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven, but he's coming back. Long time, he says. Here's the interesting thing. The servants represent you and me. Let me say that again. The servants represent you and me. Now, it's obvious that what has been entrusted will require a day of accountability. And it was John Calvin who popularized the idea that the talent represented everything that you've been given. Not necessarily just your wealth, but the opportunities that you have, the skills, the gifts, even the amount of time that you have on this planet. All of that stuff has been determined by God. And the point is that it's all to be used for him. We're not all the same, right? I mean, that's obvious. Some of us have different skills, different dispositions, different personalities. We're wired differently. We've been, we have different opportunities for sure. Uh, you never know what someone has had to face in life that God has allowed them to face that has shaped who they are and what makes them, all, all of that kind of stuff. It's perfectly acceptable to be either five, two, or one talent. That, that is absolutely up to God. He decides that we keep our noses out of other people's talents, right? God designed it. It's a picture of his spiritual capacities and opportunities given to each person. So to, to illustrate this, let me just share this quick story. Uh, one of my first jobs was at a pool store. I was 16 years old. And right, if you've been to a pool store, you know there's a little place inside the pool store where they test your water, okay? First day on the job, I was being taught by the owner of the store. His name is Tom. Tom's like, come on, Jason, I'm going to teach you how to test water. We have people coming in all the time, and we sell them chemicals, right, all this kind of stuff. So uh, he's walking me through the process, right? You fill up the little bottles, the little vials, you drop the right pill in, you test for chlorine, you test them for water hardness and calcium, all that kind of stuff, right? And whatever color the water sample becomes as a result of either the droplets or the tablets, you match it to a chart, right? And then this chart gives you the reading, let's say, for example, the pH reading. And then from that, if it's high or low, then you tell them what chemicals they need. So as we're going into this, I'm starting to sweat a little bit, okay? Because I'm severely colorblind. And it's like, it's, you know, I really want to do well. I don't want to screw this up. So I'm kind of thinking to myself, what am I going to do? This could be really bad for me. It, to make matters worse, Tom's like, this is the easiest thing in the world. Don't worry about it. <laughs> like, you know, anybody can do this. And I didn't say anything to him, right? I'm trying to figure out how I can cover up my disability. Okay? So I get trained on it. Customers start rolling in with their water samples. Pour it. I'm mixing it. Shaking it up. Hold it up to the light with a little chart next to it. And I'm like, hmm. What do you see? 
<laughs> I won't forget it. It was the first customer. First customer says, I don't know, I'd like to know what you think. Because I'm supposed to know. And I was like, I don't know, it looks, looks, looks like right here, like maybe pink. He's like, green. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. But then the best thing happened to me. Because I was 16, I was young, I'd only have my driver's license for like three months. Pretty much everybody else in the store, they had a jacked up driving record. I was the only one with a clean driving record. The boss decided to start delivering patio furniture. I'm the only one with a clean driving record. I'm out of the shop. I'm delivering patio furniture. This was the most coveted job in the whole store because it got you out of the store. So I had these guys twice my age looking at me going, I'd love to be doing what you're doing. If I could only do what you're doing, if I could only get out of the store. And I thought, if I could only do what you do, if I could only see what you see. See, what happens is the parable tells us God is the master, and he just distributes to each of us as he wills. Period. That's it. You know, people will say, I wish I had this person's gift. People will say that to me sometimes. I wish I had the gift of teacher. I'm like, no, you don't. If you want to be hated, uh, misunderstood, right, <laughs> judged, ridiculed, critiqued, welcome. It's yours, okay? <laughs> what you have is yours given to you by God. See, that's one of the main points of this parable. Everything, no, no, I may say this slowly. Everything you have been given is given to you by God. Amen. Pause for effect. Appreciate the amen. There's one. <laughs> Let me say it again. Yes. You're the servant. I'm the servant in this parable. Everything you've been given is given to you by God. And, and that's a really important point. Um, because you don't know the path that others are on. You just know yours. And we've said so many times around here, where God guides, he provides. God will give you everything you need to do to accomplish what he has called you to do. And what I would say to you, having said that, is this. I've been in a lot of different churches uh, all throughout the world. What I would say about the Illuminate congregation is this. We got a lot of five talent people here. We really do. Uh, which is really terrifying. Um, where much is given, much is required. Many of us have been given opportunities that very few people have been given. Many of us have received things that very few others have received. Why? So that we can take what's been given to us by God and give it right back to him in service. And he's given to you based on what you're capable of. Doesn't matter if it's five, two, or one. Every time you listen to a sermon that's solid and represents the text, the author's original intent, you've just received a little coin in your bag. Some of you have been sitting under amazing teaching for decades. You've got a lot of coins in your bag. What do we do with that? So the man with five talents excitedly comes before the master. That's an important point to make. He's excited about it. He can't wait. He's looking forward to this accountability. He's like, you gave me five. 
I made you five more. Here you go. It's all yours. It's what you gave to me. I was a good steward with it. It's all yours anyways. It's given right back to you. Wise investing. Well done, good and faithful servant. Same thing with the man with two talents. There's just real humility, you know. Humility, excitement. It's, it's like there's no pride in this. There's no ego. And by the way, the simplest cure for your pride is to recognize that everything about you has been given to you by God. I, I have a friend who's married to uh, a man. He's not a believer yet. He's a little antagonistic. They have some small children together. And uh, one night, as she does, she leads the family in a prayer. Husband doesn't participate, but the kids do. And so on this particular night, she asked the kids to lead their family in prayer. And so the kids were really sweet. They prayed. They thanked God for the food. They thanked God for the house. All that stuff. Amen. Dad spoke up and he said, you don't need to thank God for this. You need to thank me. I'm the one who works. I'm the one who puts this food on the table. It's not God. It's me. It's interesting because Solomon is known as the wisest man who's ever lived. We've got a book full of Proverbs from him. He asks a really good question. He says, for those of you who think your success is yours and yours alone, who gave you that brain? <laughs> well, let's go more basic. Who gives you the oxygen that you breathe? See, all of that comes to us from God. And the challenge is in our humanness is we really think that we're the man, that it's all us. I love what Tim Keller says in his book, Counterfeit Gods. He describes the idol in this way. More than other idols, personal success and achievement lead to a sense that we ourselves are God. To be the very best at what you do, to be at the top of the heap, means no one is like you. You are supreme. So we have a room full of people that are extremely good at what they do. That's a challenge. That's the idolatry of success. And so the cure for the pride is to see that success is dependent upon what God has provided for us. So these two servants, their character is affirmed. They're trustworthy. There is no medal ceremony on earth that would ever compete with hearing these words given to the faithful on that day. And additionally, the master entrusted them even, even more. And then there's this crazy little statement here. You can't miss it. He says, you have been faithful with little. That's outrageous. Five talent, 500, you've been faithful with a little. You've been faithful with 500 pounds worth of silver. And the master says, yeah, but you see, to me, I own it all anyways. And that's just, that's a little amount to me. And then he says, enter into the joy of your master well, where you will be entrusted with much. Okay, if 500 pounds of silver is little to the master, you can't even fathom what much is. So here's what's happening. Important point. Every single believer, as a steward, is building essentially a resume, a spiritual resume that they will take with him or her into the future. You realize that? You say, well, wait a minute. I thought when you get to heaven, the playing field is going to be level. We're going to be the same. We will all be the same in the sense that we will all be in the same place. But the experiences we have will not be the same. Because, you see, there's this guy with one talent. Sadly for him, the problem is he thinks he knows the master, but he doesn't. Here's where the language gets really, really interesting. He describes the master by using the Greek word scleros. Now, if you're a doctor, what does that word sound similar to? Sclerosis. Sclerosis is the hardening of something. So let's read it in that context. The servant says, Master, you're a hard man. 
you're a hard man. And I know some things about you that, uh, well, if you weren't this way, I wouldn't be afraid of you. That's what he's saying. See, because I know that you, you, know, you do things that, um, well, you know, you, you reap where you don't sow. And I understand that because you're hard and you do those kinds of things, actually those things were meant to inspire the servant, but instead the servant says, I'm afraid of you. And so it's like he's saying, if, if, you, if you weren't the way you were, then maybe I would have done something different. How 2021 is that, right? Because what's happening is, in the culture that we live in, very few people want to take responsibility for their actions. It's always out there. It's never in here. They never want to look in the mirror and say, you know what, man, this one's on me. It's always out there. It's culture of blame. And what happens is the master sees right through it because the master responds with this. No, let me just call it what it is. Um, You were lazy. That's what the text says. It says you were lazy. Don't try to manipulate me. The master says, I won't be manipulated. Bottom line is, you were lazy. So what you did have it will be taken away from you and given to the one who could be trusted. Uh, it's, it's a super sobering. And Jesus tells, he's the master story, to, a lot being told here in just a few sentences. Uh, not only is a servant lazy, but he's a manipulator. Uh, By the way, if you've wondered what Jesus has to say about investing, here's one thing he affirms in this parable. Invest in that which is stable and profitable in return. Jesus would have been fine if the one talent guy would would have simply walked 100, 200 yards down to the bank on the corner and deposited the money where at least it would be a return of maybe like, what is it right now? 0.2% 0.2% of 1%, you know what I'm saying? It's not much. But you know what? It's something. And you thought about it. You made some sort of effort. That's why the master's words to the servant are so on point because he says, here's the deal. You were so lazy, you wouldn't even lift a foot to put the money in the bank so that I would get something. Something. And he puts his foot right on the real problem. Invest in that which is stable with a profitable return. So this week, a friend, maybe you've read it. The article's gone kind of viral. It came out this last week, I believe. But it was, <laughs> the title of the article was, How to Tell Your Kids They're Not Getting an Inheritance. Have you seen this one? How to Tell Your Children They're Not Getting an Inheritance. So here's what's interesting. Here, here's what's happening right now. The boomer generation has a massive amount of wealth. And in the next 10 or 15 years, they're getting ready to hand that off. But what's being discovered is that they don't trust their kids with the money. Some of them are thinking, you know what? My kid stands for everything I stand against. If I entrust this money to my kids, I'm certain they're not going to steward it well. And so we're on the cusp of what will be the largest transference of wealth according to this article, in human history to charities and nonprofits. So my friend sent me this article and said, what do you think about it? I said, well, two proverbs come to my mind, two verses. Number one, it's good for a man to leave his children an inheritance. Actually, it says his grandchildren an inheritance. 
doesn't give a specific amount. There's another proverb that says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Now that's interesting, your wealth. So what that tells me is I shouldn't expect a penny from my in-laws or my parents when they die. I shouldn't expect a penny of it. You know why? That is their wealth. And because it is their wealth, check this out, they will be responsible for the stewardship of what they pass on. They're responsible for that. So just in this one parable, Jesus takes so much of our human thinking and he begins to probe a little bit and say, what have you been given? What are you doing with it? How can you maximize everything? Because here's what Jesus wants more than anything. He wants to be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, um, missed opportunities, missed opportunities. So begin by saying missed out, life is full of missed opportunities. Jesus doesn't want us to miss the opportunities. That's why he gives a story. If there was ever a missed opportunity within the history of mankind, it would probably surround this guy named Judas. Think about it. Judas was so close, but he was so far away. This is a guy that spent time closely with Jesus. He saw the miracles. He participated. He heard the teachings. I mean, he had a front row seat to the full messiahship of Jesus. More so, you know what his role was within the 12? He was the treasurer. And what we learned is that he was stealing money. For whatever reason, question in life to come, Jesus was gracious, gracious enough to allow him to play that role. That's why you know that there was greed in his heart. See, this is what happens because he sells Jesus out for what? Money. He was so close. Are there people in church like this? I think we'd have to say yes. People who are really close. But they're actually kind of far away. And there's no other way to say it. You know, Jesus is giving a really strong message and a warning, I think especially to a congregation like ours, where we have been given a lot of talents. What do we do with what we have been given? Last week, we focused on Jesus' words about where our treasure is, our heart is. You all know it's going to take resources for us to step into our bigger, smaller vision, bigger, smaller, deeper vision of the future. I've explained many times what we want to do, not only within our walls, but outside of our walls. That's why last week we said, here's where we're at, church family. And by the way, let me clarify something. If you're here for the first time, what I'm about to say next, ignore. We're just glad that you're here. Thanks for being with us. What I'm about to say next is a church family discussion. So last week we rolled this out. And I said, here's our sort of our heart location tractor. Like this is a G GPS signal for where our hearts are. This is above and beyond our normal, normal giving church family. These are gifts specifically for the advancement of the kingdom of God because of the unique opportunity God has given us by purchasing the building, using this as a home base. We've always talked about being a lighthouse for Jesus Christ. God, where God guides, he provides when every door was closing for us, right? Even when the owner of this building was like, nope, I don't sell, I don't sell. God's like, watch me work in his life. Mm. He asked the elders of the church to pray for him. Pray for him. God's doing some things in his life. He says, you know what? I want this building to be a church. He's got buildings that he's owned in his family for over 100 years. He says, I want this place to be a church where God guides, he provides. Last week I said, I want you to take this home. I said, don't, don't give anything right now. There's a difference between ledger thinking and faith thinking. What I mean by that is this. Ledger thinking is, I'm not really a steward. Ledger thinking is, how much of this can I keep for myself? A steward's first question is, hey, God owns it all. 
then what do I need to keep for myself? See the difference? If God owns it all, then the question is, is not, well, how much do I have to give to God? The question is, how much do I need to keep for myself? That's, a, that's the way a steward thinks. So I said, here's what we're going to do. Church, we're going to wrestle with this one. You're going to be having conversations with God that you haven't had before. And these are heart conversations. This is a heart try. It's a heart location. Conversations with your spouse, even with your kids. Asking God in this transformational journey, because Jesus talked about it so much, where is my heart at on this issue? So pray about it. Continue to pray about it. Seek the Lord's direction again for the next seven days. And then next Sunday, we're calling it Commitment Sunday. We're going to come forward and we're going to, we're going to essentially say, God, this is it. This is where we're at as a church family, and this is what we're committing ourselves to. The Sunday after that will be Celebration Sunday. You've heard me say many times, at the end of the day, there are so many, so many God moments through this. That includes where some of you are at right now, because your heart is like, man, I'm down with this. I would love to help, but I'm a financial mess. You know, it's become obvious over the last couple of weeks that I'm not in control of my money, but my money is in control of me, and I'm in no place to give. What I would say to you, that's okay. We want to give to you. Many of you are familiar with Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. We've worked out uh, um, basically an agreement with them that the Financial Peace University classes to help you understand what good stewardship is, to get yourself back on track financially, we're going to offer that for free to everyone in the Illuminate family. Okay? Now, if you don't know what that is, I'm going to bring up a couple of friends of mine. Come on up, Jonathan and Sonny. Will you give them a hand? What they're about to do is not super easy. Okay? So let me say, everybody in this room loves you. It's not easy to tell these stories, but their story is going to resonate with some of you out there. All right? So give us a little bit of your, uh, of your story and tell, kind of tell us how God brought you to this point in your life. All right? Uh, so when I start the story, I'm just going to say that our story was essentially normal. I mean, we started out normal, uh, maybe a bit idyllic. Uh, we, we were college sweethearts. We graduated from college. We moved away from home. Uh, we got married, uh, and then we decided that we're really going to dive into some debt at that point. Uh, we took out that mortgage. Uh, that was our first step. And to outfit that home, we went and met with another company who agreed to loan us a whole bunch of furniture. Um, to get to the, ho the new jobs that we had, we uh, took out some, we, got, we purchased some vehicles. Uh, the purchase wasn't made with our money either. Uh, so we were really all the way in. Um, and just like about 78% of people nowadays, we were paycheck to paycheck. It means that every dollar that was coming in, it was getting spent. We would pay the bills, we'd have a little bit left over, and we would spend that to live a lifestyle that, that we thought was what we were supposed to be living. So like Jonathan said, from the outside, everything looked great. It was like the Instagram reel, right? So we had the house in the right neighborhood, the cars. We were able to go to dinners and brunches with friends and vacations, et cetera. But on the inside, behind closed doors, you know, the stress was palpable. We were having a lot of fights about money. And um, one of the statistics is 50% of marriages end in divorce, and one of the main reasons is money fights and money issues. 
And we had just stacked up this nice house of cards and one emergency and it was all gonna fall down. And then that emergency doesn't always come, but for us it did. Um, to add on to everything else that we had, we, we just had had a one-year-old. It was supposed to be a really great time where we just had a baby and now he's about a one-year-old. Uh, and I lost my job unexpectedly. And in losing my job with the paycheck to paycheck, we lost half our income. On top of that, the company had provided me with a company vehicle and company cell phone, computer, so everything else had to be all turned in. Um, so we started essentially from nothing at that point, and that all that uh, emergency that we had saved was just in credit cards. We, we didn't have anything else. And we had built this lifestyle that was pretty expensive to maintain. Uh, and we maxed that out pretty quick, trying to maintain that lifestyle. The last thing we wanted to do was let anybody else around us, our neighbors, our family, relatives, know that we weren't doing that well. Uh, and it, it, got pretty stress it got pretty stressful there. And from, you know, I know for a lot of women, money is security for us. So when that happened and Jonathan lost his job, you know, I felt very insecure. I was worried and just utterly hopeless and I think for the first time we were kind of on the same page and we're like why we don't want to feel this way ever again what are we doing we need to not be wondering where our money went we need to tell it where it's going you know we make enough why are we broke so you know we we decided to do something about it uh, my parents as a graduation from college gift uh, had gifted us a financial peace university at home kit and we traveled with this from college through apartments and through another house. Uh, we'd never taken the wrapping off of it. It had been with us the entire time. So we finally decided to dust it off. We took off the wrapping and we said, you know, our plan so far has not worked out so well. It's put us in a pretty bad spot. So let's see if we can find something else. Uh, we watched that first DVD and within a week we'd gone through the whole FPU course on our own. Uh, the first step was that we needed to put together a $1,000 emergency fund. Uh, we were fired up, ready to go, but that was a daunting task, given that anything that came in would go right back out. So it was, it was like, how are we even gonna start this? But you know, we completed it, and then we're like, all right, we're on fire, this can actually work. And so we, we were able to knock out all of our non-mortgage debt within the year. And you know, we had hiccups along the way. It was not an easy journey, it was hard work. And, um, it, it wasn't anything fancy either. We just followed his plan. We budgeted. We actually stuck to the budget for once. We did not go out to eat. We didn't do vacations. We also took on extra work. I know Jonathan was doing 50, 60 hours. I picked up another job doing seven days a week. And we saw to the other side. <laughs> I mean, the side effect of that wasn't just that we got a better relationship with our finances. It was that we got a better relationship with God as well. Uh, he had kind of shown us that you guys weren't doing so well. You know, I've entrusted you with a lot. You know, you guys are professionals in your field. I've given you a lot to use, and you've used it all on yourselves. Because as we set up into this point, it was our money. And our money was being completely spent. Uh, once we realized that it wasn't ours anymore, that it was God's money, and that we were stewards with it, it felt silly to keep spending this to uh, essentially live a lifestyle for everybody else that, you know, wasn't even ours. And just to expand on that a little bit, in Proverbs, you know, the, the borrower is slave to the lender. And I mean, we really felt that. So when we were able to actually be free and be able to live the life that God had planned and steward the money appropriately, I mean, that's really what it's all about. We were able to put our focus on things that actually mattered. 
And since then, you know, he's given us the opportunity to be able to uh, coordinate a lot of these classes as well, uh, several churches. Uh, we've been able to meet a lot of people with similar stories. Sometimes they're even worse. Sometimes it's even more dire and, and the situations are bad. But it, it, there's always a positive outlook to it. And we've been blessed to be able to see those stories and, and see that change in people. The cool thing about um, Jonathan and Son is this is their home church, and so it's come full circle for them. They were in this place, come through the other side, and now they want to help others. So, like I said, we made this resource available free to the entire Illuminate family. There's no shame in it at all. It's like, hey, clearly my money is in control of me. That's the first step in saying, I need help. Hit that QR code on the back of the seat. You'll see a little tab, Financial Peace University, or you can go to the website and um, get more information uh, that way as well. I'm going to end the service as I did last week just by saying any questions about the future vision of the church, uh, anything at all about it, any comments, anything, anything you have to contribute, you know, don't hesitate to let us know. And we've got some elders right out in the lobby underneath the sign that says bigger, smaller, deeper um, questions. And so make sure you hit them up uh, if you need to. Let's pray. Father, Lord, you... Uh, we just need to start by acknowledging that the scriptures say every, everything that we have comes to us from you. And it's so hard for us to admit that. But Lord, it is the truth. And there will be a day when that is fully and ultimately revealed. So Father, we want to live today in light of that time. Lord, we want to prepare well. You've given us very specific instructions, Lord. We were called to be stewards. I pray, Father, that you would speak so clearly within every heart of every person that calls Illuminate their church home. God, you've blessed us in so many ways through these ministries, Father. Now, what is our blessing in return? So, Father, we pray with anticipation, knowing that you are capable of doing so much more than we could ever ask or think. Personally, I'm super grateful that I get to be part of a church family that is committed to advancing the gospel, Lord, and that is such a joy. All for your glory, we pray. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who makes it all possible. And God's people said, amen.